When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Putin has made it very clear that he wants to reunite the Soviet Union and that he is not ethically constrained. There is no such thing as risk-free sanctions, but our risk tolerance has to rise in the face of an actual land war in Europe. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. There is the size that the economy is not super robust. Pennsylvania has thousands of structurally deficient bridges. The need has been pronounced for a while, and Joe Biden got it done. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We head into this weekend with breaking news and a new warning from the White House. Russia could move on Ukraine as soon as next week. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with new information on the standoff with Russia and an important conversation ahead with Congressman Jim Himes, a Democrat from Connecticut who serves on the House Intelligence Committee. He'll be live on the line in just a moment and we'll hear analysis from the signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Later, a judge in Canada just ordered an end to the truck convoy blocking the bridge to Detroit in protest of COVID restrictions, among other things. We're going to talk about what happens next now with the mayor of Windsor, Canada, Drew Dilkins, whose city has been at the center of this for days. President Biden is off to Camp David now for the weekend, where he will be huddling with advisors on Russia and Ukraine and just breaking now on the terminal in the last hour, Bloomberg News reporting President Biden will speak tomorrow with Vladimir Putin. We are living in interesting times, and I want to be explicit. We are not dealing with third-party information tonight. We are only bringing you news reported directly by Bloomberg. There is just too much stuff flying around at the moment that cannot be verified, and we encourage you to be careful with where you're getting your information. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan briefed reporters today made clear in the briefing room that Russia we could can't. take offensive military action against Ukraine as soon as next week. Here he is. We can't pinpoint the day at this point, uh, and we can't pinpoint the hour. But what we can say is that there is a credible prospect that a Russian military action would take place even before the end of the Olympics. Recalling reports that President Xi asked Vladimir Putin to hold off on any invasion until after the Beijing Olympics. Remember that a couple of weeks ago? Well, maybe not. Although Sullivan also stressed what we do not know. Here he is again. Uh, we are not saying that a decision has been taken. A final decision has been taken by President Putin. What we are saying is that we have a sufficient level of concern based on what we are seeing on the ground and what our intelligence analysts have picked up uh, that we are sending this clear message. And now Bloomberg News is also reporting the U.S. is ordering an additional 3,000 troops to stand ground in Poland. That makes for a total increase of 5,000 troops 
in that country where defending our NATO allies is the mission. Now, the State Department is warning Americans to get out of Ukraine. You've heard that as uh, Russian assault, Jake Sullivan says, would likely begin with an aerial bombing, uh, maybe missile attacks that could bring civilian casualties. That is where we begin our conversation with Congressman Jim Himes, Democrat from Connecticut. He serves on the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and Congressman from one nutmegger to another. Welcome. Do you believe that Vladimir Putin is aiming for war? Well, it sure looks that way, Joe. Um, and I think uh, you characterize it correctly. I don't know that that we know uh, that a decision has been taken. Uh, coincidentally, I was just on a call with the Deputy Secretary of State. I don't have any reason to believe that Putin has taken that decision. But what he has done over the course of the last couple of weeks is to put himself in the position that if he says go, uh, minutes later, artillery will be flying and tanks could be crossing the border. And that's the position he's put himself in. So he's created a a, a very, very dangerous situation. Um, And, you know, we may not know that the decision has been taken until, as I said, you know, there are tanks on the move or artillery or missiles flying over the border. Jeez. Jake Sullivan reiterated the belief that Putin could stage a false flag operation to, you know, to create a pretext for war. Uh, Congressman, how would our intelligence community be able to, to tell the difference to confirm such an operation? Well, um, this is sort of part of the Russian playbook, um, yeah. and it was remarkable to see the intelligence community um, describe that plan a, a couple of weeks ago with the idea that, you know, it would take some of the credibility out of whatever it is. Uh, you'll you'll recall that the idea was that the Russians would stage an attack. They would use, you know, cadavers to, you know, show graphic images of people who had died at the hands of the Ukrainians. You know, uh, Putin is, is almost entirely shameless, but he's not 100% shameless. And, you know, to this moment, he is denying that he has the intent to attack. Yeah. Uh, and so you would expect to see some staged provocation that he can point to and say, hey, I had no intention to attack, and then X, Y, Z happened. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's likely the way this looks. Do you like the way the White House has tried to stay ahead of this, talking about the, you know, the movie, talking about a possible false flag operation, trying to get this stuff out there before it happens? Yeah, I think I think. Remember, the whole mission right now um, is to is to create as much deterrence as possible, uh, and that's why you've seen a steady flow of weaponry uh, from uh, NATO allies, from the United States, trainers on the ground to raise the cost to Putin of an invasion. That's why you've seen very explicit and specific descriptions of the sanctions that will be imposed. That's why you saw uh, the president and the Europeans say that Nord Stream Two is over if Putin crosses the line there, because right now the entire game is to create uh, enough deterrence so that Putin says, all right, I may be ready to go, but the costs of doing so just aren't worth it. Are you confident we have the assets on the ground to deliver accurate intelligence as this is unfolding? Well, um, I obviously can't get into specifics in that regard, but um, you know we are working very closely with the Ukrainians supporting them uh, as best we can. Um, you know, we don't have our military, w- with the exception of some trainers, yeah. uh, on the ground down there. So we don't obviously have the same sort of uh, functional alliance that we would have with a NATO ally. 
But um, one of the things we can do uh, to make this very, very costly to Vladimir Putin is to make sure that the Ukrainians know what we know. And obviously, we've got an awful lot of uh, capability to know what's going on uh, inside the Russian military uh, as they move troops around, as they move equipment around. Um, you know, uh, our capabilities will make that uh, much more devastating uh, for Vladimir Putin than it would otherwise be. You do not want to see a military answer if there is an invasion, correct? You're, you're a pure sanctions uh, uh, congressman when it comes to this. You don't want to see the United States military get involved in anything beyond a defensive posture. Well, regardless of what I think, um, a, a Russian invasion of, uh, of Ukraine would be just devastating. Um, thousands of dead, thousands of Ukrainians, innocent Ukrainians, yeah. civilian Ukrainians would die. For what? So that Vladimir Putin can flex his muscle and sort of pursue some vision of a grand new Russia? I mean, is yeah. that is that where we are in the 21st century, where, you know, an autocrat like Putin gets to kill thousands of people? Now, are we going to go to war um, to uh, to stop Russia? You heard the National Security Advisor very clearly. Mm-hmm. As a member of Congress, I can tell you my constituents uh, uh, would not support that. Um, but uh, but we're going to do all that we can to make sure that, P- that Putin, if he does this, he pays, a, he pays a dramatic cost. We're talking with Congressman Jim Himes, Democrat from Connecticut. I, I know you also chair the Select Committee on Economic Disparity and Fairness and Growth. You had a hearing this week about the infrastructure law that I'd like to ask you about. Making sure that people and small businesses in underserved communities essentially are not overlooked when these investments, more than a trillion dollars worth of investments, are made. Uh, I know it's difficult to control that much money, Congressman, but I have a good sense of Connecticut. A lot of people think it's a big yacht club. It's not. There are a number of communities that are in desperate need of, of this infrastructure investment. And, of course, you're looking at this nationally as well. How do you make sure, how do you control the money to make sure it's getting into the right places? Well, um, you, you framed it exactly right. I mean, yes, people think of Connecticut as a wealthy state, and it is. But I represent the city of Bridgeport, where you've got very substantial poverty. And, and to your question about infrastructure, um, you've got people who uh, don't have broadband access, um, families with children who, uh, when, uh, when schooling was remote, uh, yeah. you know, had to park outside of a, a coffee shop where there might have been Wi-Fi. And that's obviously not something that sits well with any American, regardless of what you live. So we do have an opportunity with this infrastructure spending to make right some of the disparities that exist out there. Um, you know, it's interesting, um, Joe, we, when we think of poverty and economic disparity, we think about differences in dollars. And yeah, okay, so that's true. But you know what else it's about? It's about isolation. Um, poverty um, whether it's a small town that's not near any sort of transportation or commercial hubs yeah. uh, or an inner city that isn't well-served with um, broadband uh, or well-served with uh, mass transit. Um, you know, infrastructure can do a lot to alleviate the kind of poverty, the kind of uh, economic disparities that this country, sadly, uh, is, is, is more and more characterizing this country. And also feeds crime, which I know is a major issue for, uh, for a lot of cities throughout the country. Congressman, the other side of this coin is the other part of your district, which is Greenwich. Uh, a very different uh, set of constituents, and you're you're dealing with the matter of salt uh, as a potential uh, matter to uh, to negotiate with the Build Back Better plan that's still kind of sitting on the shelf here. And I wonder if if you see a future uh, for that issue with regard to the tax deduction for your constituents dealing with with enormous taxes uh, on the state level. Is that something you could see being resolved this year, or is it time to stop talking about it? 
Well, you know, I, I, we continue to hear that uh, Build Back Better may come back in the form of something smaller. Hey, that's fine with me. Uh, I would rather not see it go completely away because there's some things in there that I think would just be tremendously um, helpful to everybody in the United States. My, my own personal uh, uh, belief is that universal pre-K, making sure that every American child, you know, uh, gets to start school at age five, ready to learn, ready to go. Uh, what that'll do for that child's opportunity is just remarkable. Um, so I, I, I can't handicap for you how or whether BBB will move forward. But you ask about salt. You know, have, salt yeah. when the we only have a minute left, but I'd be curious yeah. to know your thought on the deduction. Yeah, I, I don't know whether here's well here's here's my thought when uh, when Donald Trump passes tax reform, which you know cut taxes on enormously wealthy people, uh, the the salt deduction was 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 dropped down to ten thousand dollars. That right. punishes communities that choose to invest a lot in their schools or in their roadways, and therefore have to tax more. Sure. So my my personal view of this is that we ought to raise that deduction. Now we don't need to eliminate it, right? Because at the end yes. of the day, the salt deduction, uh, you know, could it happen this year though, Congressman? Uh, hard. I, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I'd Great. like to see that deduction rate. I appreciate your being uh, thoughtful with all of my questions. Congressman Jim Himes, Democrat from Connecticut, the view on everything from Ukraine to Greenwich. How about it on the fastest hour in politics? The panel's next. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal is breaking news from the White House as the U.S. warns of risk that Russia attacks Ukraine next week. We assemble the panel for more on this, having heard from Congressman Himes, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here Welcome to both of you and happy Friday. Jeannie, we've received repeated warnings from the White House. Absent an invasion, does the administration risk sounding like the boy who cried wolf here? Well, you know, I was struck by the change of language today because, you know, last week they stopped sort of talking about the imminent threat, but that resumed today after that meeting in the Situation Room last night. And so it seems that they have arrived at some, you know, conclusion or thought that the diplomatic options, we know Biden and Putin are supposed to talk tomorrow, but those don't seem to be going very far. Certainly after we heard the comments that Sergei Lavrov made to the foreign minister from from Britain, you know, falling on deaf ears, those seem to have sort of 
stalled, if you will. And so we're hearing the administration say once again, Americans need to get out in the next 24 to 48 hours. If nothing else, they can't pinpoint a time frame. But we do know they have the capacity to Representative Himes point. They have the capacity to act should they decide. And I think it's important that the administration tell Americans there and everybody around the world that that's the situation. Right. This would be a dramatic escalation following several fairly quiet days here. Uh, Do you assume, based on the language you're hearing from the National Security Advisor, that the White House has good enough intelligence to be talking like this? Or are they speaking from a place of uncertainty just in case? Well, there's always uncertainty as it relates to Vladimir Putin. And the only thing I would disagree with Congressman Himes on, great interview, and his perch on the Intelligence Committee, he's got a lot more insight than I do. But he says Putin isn't entirely shameless. Putin is entirely (laughs) shameless. And so I think that anybody who says, hey, you know what Putin's thinking right now is is ill-informed. So I think they're doing the right thing. They're creating a prescription for what happens if something goes wrong. And and so they're also casting a lot of spotlight on Vladimir Putin, which he probably doesn't want. And so right in the middle of the Olympics, Vladimir Putin's the number one issue. He's he's over um, uh, taken the Olympics as the number one issue in, in the world. And, and, and he ought to be the number one issue because pressure on him uh, is the only way to keep this thing under control. Well, I mean, an invasion would open, uh, obviously, a major new chapter in this saga here, Jeannie, to the point that we are talking about Vladimir Putin every day. Is there any chance that he just sits back at some point and calls this a big win? I think there is a chance that he could decide to go either way. I don't think we know. But again, that's why I think the administration is right to go based on the facts. If you have 130,000 troops on the border, the Ukraine says it is surrounded on all sides. That those that is the reality. What you know, what is being said, he could go either way. Those things could all happen. But I think we have to be sober enough to say he has the capacity should yeah. he decide to go in and also listen to to his words, he has said over and over again, the Ukraine is not an independent state. It will never be. And then the two documents he sent to the United States to sign, he said, sign them mm-hmm. or we will find another way. And I think the United States has to take that statement and those statements very seriously. Well, so what the heck happens on this call tomorrow, Rick? I mean, the carrots and sticks have been out there for a couple of weeks, really, since the last time they spoke, certainly since Putin met with uh, with Emmanuel Macron. Uh, that was less than a week ago. Is this a phone call that says, hey, are you guys invading or not? You know, I, I think that uh, I think that Biden will probably it'd be more one sided. I mean, if you think Lavrov's comments about, you know, one mute speaking to one deaf person, uh, I think it's the same thing. Right. Uh, Biden will not be mute. He'll say, look, yeah. we've got all of Europe allied with us. Uh, Nord Stream 2 is going to get shut down. I said it publicly. I'm telling you personally. Uh, you're going to have a disaster on your hands with the economy and your state, and uh, it's not worth the, the the threat. And and we we know what you're doing, and there's no secret here. The fact that they've actually forecasted this all in the press, all yeah. around the world, it's it's actually been a great unifying thing for democracies all around the world. I mean, like th- there's a more unified approach to Russia today than there was when all this started. And that's bad news for, for Vladimir Putin. I don't, mm. right now, I think his, his options are very limited. He can be the global bad guy for the rest of his term of office, which is as long as he breathes, or he can start looking at how to cut a deal. Yeah, so this is one last warning then, this meeting tomorrow, Jeannie? 
I think so. And I think the challenge for the United States is to help Germany get out of the trap it is in between its diplomatic relationships and alliances and its real dependence on Russia in terms of gas and oil. That is a real dependence. And so, you know, that is what the United States and its NATO allies need to do, because we heard when Schultz was here, he was reluctant to talk uh, specifically about Nord Stream 2. The United States, if they are going to hit Russia with sanctions, most people say the only real hurt we can do is in terms of gas and oil. Sure, we can we can impact them in other ways, but the real hurt would be gas and oil. That is their main stream of revenue. That's the most important mm-hmm. sector. That's where we've got to hit them. And that's going to require that we are aligned with Germany in terms of Nord well, Stream 2. Chancellor Schultz meeting with Vladimir Putin, at least scheduled to next week. Rick, do we work out a deal with the Qataris between now and then that gives Germany uh, energy independence from Moscow? Yeah, I think that those are that's one of many things that are happening right now. I mean, these world leaders, these Western leaders aren't sitting on their hands waiting for Vladimir Putin to act. Right. They're out shopping for gas. They're shopping for oil. They're looking for anything they can to ensure that that whatever he does, if he does the worst, they're protected. And and frankly, that's another reason Vladimir Putin's put himself in a, in a lurch, because now people aren't going to be so dependent upon him. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. Our signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On and a lot more to talk about with regard to this and breaking news from Canada. A judge just moved to end the trucker convoy, but has shut down border crossings into the U.S. and thrown the economy into even more of a tailspin. We'll talk about it with the mayor of Windsor, Canada. Next, this is Bloomberg. The word came down less than an hour ago, a Canadian judge ordering protesters blocking the border crossing between Detroit and Windsor, Canada to move out. Remembering this all started as the truck convoy. You probably heard first about the truckers, right, protesting COVID vaccine mandates. But it's grown into something a lot bigger, impacting other border crossings, involving other issues. And it's interrupted trade between our two countries, put more pressure on supply chains, automakers are canceling shifts because of this. I spoke earlier with the mayor of Windsor, Canada, Drew Dilkins, about what happens next now after this court ruling. He says with the injunction, they are ready to bring this to an end. There's a whole strategy being put in place, but of course law enforcement is the central part of that. We have police uh, resources that have been sent down here from from all across Ontario and and elsewhere in Canada, including members of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police who are here, uh, and public order units. And so they are ready to to move uh, as appropriate. Our goal still being uh, the peaceful resolution of this protest, that the protesters will drive away on their own volition. Uh, But if they do not decide to do that, then we will take steps to make sure that we can reopen this border crossing and get trade flowing again to our countries. You must have a lot of tow trucks at the handy. Well, it's going to take some time, and there's no doubt it's going to take some resources. But uh, at the end of the day, this is an illegal blockade, uh, and they are choking off the busiest border crossing between our two countries. And for perspective, uh, we're talking about $400 million a day that crosses at that border crossing. Uh, And so any closure is felt immediately, especially by the auto sector who works in a just-in-time delivery world. Uh, But it's felt materially by not just the auto sector, by so many other manufacturers, produce, agriculture workers, uh, and pretty much everyone in between. There are, it's fair to say that there are hundreds of thousands of families, Joe, on both sides of the border that rely on this border crossing and the smooth and efficient operation of the same. Well, we're hearing about Ford and GM cutting shifts because of this. I know the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has warned about supply disruptions even worse than we were already experiencing uh, because of COVID and, and, and unrelated economic effects. 
this is an economic threat to your city of Windsor. Oh, this is an economic threat to my nation. Uh, yes, it's absolutely critical for my city, being the auto capital of Canada. But this yeah. is a, this is a national crisis in the U.S. Uh, as well, in its own way. For the U.S. as well. I mean, we we have, and I think it's fair to say, for perspective, if you look at Windsor and Detroit, each being our respective auto capitals of our country, the supply chains are so tightly integrated on both sides of the border. And for for perspective on that, a vehicle that rolls off the assembly line, either in Detroit or in Windsor, yeah. the parts that go into production of that vehicle across the border. Are six times before it rolls off the finish line. Wow. Are there any uh, so alternative routes that you're able to use? Is there ferry service? Is there any way around this? There, there really is no other practical alternative that's not currently choked off. So about two hours away in Sarnia, uh, there's another border crossing, but protesters are also blocking up there. And so it really is creating a stalemate uh, at our international crossings. It cannot be allowed to continue. Uh, you cannot have peaceful protest uh, disrupting the economy of two nations. Yeah. Uh, and uh, something has to happen, and something will happen in short order, I'm sure. Are the protesters allowing anyone to pass, anyone, anything getting by? Well, here's the problem, uh, Joe. You've got a protest on the ground that is basically a leaderless movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you do have some folks here who are concerned about COVID rules and restrictions and mask mandates and those types of things. But you have people here who are protesting climate change initiatives. You have people here who are just angry at government in general. Uh, and I would describe the, 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 the folks who are here being more analogous to the types of protesters you'd find at a G7 or G20 protest. Wow. Uh, it really runs the gamut. And so there, there, there is no leader to negotiate with. And so from time to time, police have been able to find a pathway to open a lane of traffic. Uh, and then, you know, the protesters, uh, the ones who disagreed with that particular decision, will move very quickly, quickly to shut it off. And so uh, it's been very problematic, and you're dealing with a, a group of folks on the ground who have uh, outwardly stated that this is a cause for which they're willing to die. Uh, and that certainly that rhetoric has amped up the police response and and the tactical response that police will need to provide. Are they all from Canada, or is there no way to tell? I, I think it's fair to say the vast majority would be Canadians, uh, and you know, some local, some prote- professional protesters who've come from elsewhere. It really is a I would call it a hodgepodge of folks who are here. Uh, but listen, we, we hear them. We, we don't mind their right to peacefully protest rules that they think are unfair. It's the hallmark of our democracy. That's okay to protest. What's not okay is to choke off the busiest commercial corridor between two countries yeah. uh, for which hundreds of thousands of people on either side of the border rely on being open for their, for their, for, to put bread on their table. How much of a security concern is this? We've talked a lot about the economic implications, but, the, but this is a dangerous situation, Mayor. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that, it, you know, we, we have concerns with the, the temperature on the ground with the protesters, but I have concerns about economic security. I have concerns about people being able to go into Costco and Meyer and Kroger and grocery stores sure. uh, and not having extra things on the shelf. We, we are already in an environment because of COVID where we have chip shortages in the auto industry, supply chain challenges around the world. Uh, and the last thing we need is the layering on of protest uh, by, in, from a Canadian perspective, by about 10% of the population who have object- objected to getting a vaccine. Uh, and so the vast majority of people in Canada do not support this group. They want to see them move on. They've made their point, uh, but they want to see action to get this border crossing reopened uh, and trade flowing once again. We're talking with Mayor Drew Dilkins of Windsor, Canada, where this trucker convoy protest you've been hearing so much about uh, is happening right now. I know the U.S. Department of Homeland Security is talking about as well 
May or possible trucker protests like these targeting uh, events in the U.S. This weekend, the Super Bowl, and then eventually the State of the Union, they say, in Washington. Based on what you've experienced here, how would you move to prevent such an interruption? Well, I, I think you're going to have to have some legislative tools uh, in place. And uh, it is very, very difficult because these aren't just all semi-trailer drivers, you know, driving around. The vast yeah. majority of cars that are here are just that. They're pickup trucks and vehicles. Uh, and so it's, it's not, they are not easily distinguishable uh, as they may have been at the very start of the protest, which was really wrapped up with a core group of truck drivers. Uh, and so I, I think there has to be a legislative response, which our, our government provincially is putting in place, saying that there are going to be fines of up to $100,000. The truckers and the people who are, are, are part of these protests could lose their commercial vehicle operator's license. They may lose their driving license entirely. Uh, and so that is the type of effort that the government is looking at. And, and with the state of emergency that the province of Ontario declared today, uh, puts, in the, puts them in a position to be able to move forward on some of these tools that will get a lot of these protesters to think long and hard uh, about their position and what they're doing. Mayor Drew Dilkins, we thank you for your time on a chaotic day today and wish you luck with the resolution. Yeah, thanks very much, Joe. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. We should note the order here. Uh, this judge's order is effective 7 p.m. to give the protesters time to leave. This is Eastern time here, so another 90 minutes or so. We want to bring in Josh Wingrove as part of this conversation, Bloomberg White House reporter, also a native of Canada. Josh, we are not strangers to anti-vax protests in this country. It's been a really big part of the COVID story. Mayor Dilkins just said they're willing to die for their cause uh, is this movement as widespread? Is is the nation as divided in Canada as it is in the U.S. over COVID? Oh no, no. And what often what often happens, Joe, with these stories is you know Canada stuff doesn't often spill into the news uh, yeah. in the states. We're used to it. We're used to it, Joe. Uh, but it usually, <laughs> once it does, there's a convergence. In other words, the story you hear in the states is tends to be the story you hear in Canada. Mm-hmm. That does not happen here. And if anything, it's going. The other way, this has been egged on in particular by, you know, Fox News and what have you. But this is not anymore, at least, if it ever was, a trucker protest. It's leaders, to the extent there are any, are sort of your more run-of-the-mill anti-government, anti-establishment, mm-hmm. anti-mandate folks. Uh, and so there's, it's not really about one thing. And as an example, Mayor Dilkins is talking about the Ambassador Bridge. Now, Joe, the, there's a tunnel that goes under that river and trucks, or excuse me, cars can use it, buses can use it. Pretty much everyone but semi-trucks cannot use it. So mm-hmm. a movement that nominally began about truckers 
and about vaccine mandates at the border that people worried would impact supply chains. Yeah. With that bridge is now taking hostage almost literally only truckers, working truckers, and the supply chains that they sort of set out to raise the alarm on. So it's really flipped on its head. And even if they clear that one, there are border closures uh, at other parts in the country, certainly much less busy than this bridge, which is really the ball game when it comes to the auto sector in the Canada and the U.S. trade. Uh, but then, there, of course, there's sort of that, you know, queen bee nest protest up in Ottawa that has a lot more di- dug in, you know, four or five times as many vehicles, many more semi-trucks, many more heavy equipment, pieces of heavy equipment. So that'll be a different kettle of fish if and when police decide to move on that as well. What do you think happens by 7 o'clock? Are they going to move out? <sighs> I, I hope there is no injury or death on this, right, but of it, course. Is a messy, it is a messy scenario. But yeah, I mean, we've seen these things disperse in other cities. Toronto, for instance, was able to disperse peacefully their protest here. Um, you know, one issue you have here is, is again, Mayor, Mayor Dilkins alluded to it. There's no clear leader. There's no sort of figurehead. Uh, conservative politicians have been grappling with this. You know, a lot of these people are, frankly, conservative voters. You know, the conservative politicians in Canada have been uh, hesitant to sort of come out ahead of it. One in particular who looks like he might be the next federal conservative leader has been cheering it on. The conservative premier of Ontario, which includes Windsor, mm-hmm. came out against it uh, uh, today pretty somewhat strongly. Uh, so, you know, there's been this sort of divide, Joe. But we're, yeah. we're going to see. But I think let's say they do clear it, God willing, it's peaceful or as peaceful as can be. Uh, I think, we, of course, we'll see a risk that it will pop up either there or elsewhere. Again, and this, these things will roll. There are reports, I will say, that their measures are going to ease on Canada-U.S. border crossings next week. Okay. Um, I, so, you know, maybe there'll be some olive branches here, but I think we'll see the federal government sort of bend over backwards to say that they're not caving, but maybe that will be enough to sort of lower the tension. What do you make of uh, the idea that this uh, takes on a life of its own here in the U.S., that there's a convoy starting in California, they get it started at the Super Bowl, I'm sure you've seen this, and they end up shutting down Washington uh, for the State of the Union. I don't know how you shut down Washington, Josh. There's more than one bridge coming into this city. Yeah, and I think American police are a little more uh, uh, keen to <laughs> dig in than, than Canadian police are. Part of this, Joe, is the Ottawa police just got caught flat-footed. I mean, they just didn't think it would become the thing that it has become. So, yeah, look, I think there are competing forces here in the U.S. Number one, we don't have the lockdowns here in the U.S. anywhere near that they've had in Canada. So mm-hmm. the pressure cooker really isn't there in the same way. But number two, you have probably a broader public support for this position. In Canada, this protest is pretty unpopular. Interesting. In the U.S., it, it wouldn't be as unpopular. So those make it hard to say. Do I expect that I will hear truck air horns around the White <laughs> House in the coming weeks, Joe? Yeah, I think I do. So, you, you know, uh, okay. talk about sound on. You know, They're coming. We'll, be, we'll, be hear, we'll be hearing that. But yeah, is I think the we'll White see House some worried? of it in some case. Is there, is there going to be a briefing on this in the next week that this crazy uh, stuff is coming to Washington? People need to be careful. It's coming up their radar now, mostly because, of course, of the impact of this bridge. Like $140 billion a year or so is what that bridge was on pace for, wow. by one estimate, this yeah. year. I would note they're building a second bridge because it was never a very good idea to have all your eggs in one basket. Uh, but it's going to be a few years before that's done. Uh, but the White House, I think, uh, put it this way. They're talking about briefings by Liz Sherwood-Randall, their Homewood, Homeland Security Advisor, mm-hmm. when they talk about this issue. They view this as a Homeland Security issue, and I think mm-hmm. they'll continue to. Well, we remember there was a trucker rally, you know, in Washington. I think it was 2000 over diesel fuel prices. Yep. We've seen this kind of stuff. We saw truckers for Trump. Yep. Uh, I think you heard those horns yourself, uh, Josh. So it wouldn't be the first time that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in Canada, this this has been an issue. 
And remember, the, the, at least nominally, this began because both Canada and the U.S. in January required truckers crossing the border to be vaccinated. And in Canada, 90-something percent, about 90 percent, have done that. And major trucking companies have been distancing themselves from the protest. They were criticizing the mandate, but once the mandate was in place, they said it hasn't made a big difference and were distancing themselves from the protest. So again, this is less a trucker protest than it is a sort of anti-establishment, anti-mandate, quote-unquote, freedom yeah. protest that is invoking truckers. But actual truckers, by and large, are staying the heck away from it. Fascinating conversation and great perspective from Josh Wingrove. Thank you, Josh, uh, for being with us here. White House reporter uh, pulled into many different conversations on Bloomberg TV and radio because he's a man of many skills. So the blockade is coming down at the bridge, I guess, the Ambassador Bridge, unless something different happens here. The judge has ruled, as you heard us discuss uh, with Josh Wingrove and the mayor of Windsor, Ontario. But they're going to give him a little bit of time to get out of there. I'm more curious about the bigger picture here, though, and the possibility of this coming to the U.S. And that's where we pick up with the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Rick, what do you make of uh, this idea of the convoy starting this weekend in California, they say, and it snowballs as it rolls across the U.S. on its way to shut down the nation's capital in time for the State of the Union? Is there enough organization, enough anger to make that happen? You know, I don't know if there's enough anger to make it happen. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me, and I, I could be just out of touch. But uh, uh, my sense is any chance people have these days to protest, they're going <laughs> to probably take it. Um, yeah. I, I think the dynamic's a little different here. I mean, like, my money's on the Teamsters to say, hey, wait a minute, we're not getting paid to roll those trucks. Let's not roll them. <laughs> right. uh, so my, I, I think there's a slightly different political dynamic, as Josh pointed out, between, you know, the, the lower 48 and, the, mm-hmm. uh, and our cousins to the north. On, on the other hand, after January 6th, uh, Jeannie, you hear about uh, a trucker convoy coming to shut down the Beltway. It just has a different ring to it than it did when it was, you know, protesting diesel prices or even the, the truckers uh, for Trump that, that we just referenced. That's right. And I thought Josh was so on point when he said, you know, we're describing this, um, you know, repeatedly as a truckers protest, but it's Mm -hmm. really an anti-establishment, anti-mandate freedom protest. Yeah. Yeah. And as the mayor said to you, rightly so, there is no it's a leaderless movement. It's so diffuse. And on the one hand, that makes it really, really difficult. Who do you negotiate with if if you have to? And on the other hand, I think it makes it much tougher to have a copycat in in the United States. I mean, you know, I, I, to, to Josh's point, you can't imagine the, the officials in D.C. allowing something like this to choke I off. I cannot imagine. Yeah, right. I mean, so so I think that's, that's very difficult to imagine. But, you know, let's underscore the fact we've heard people like Senator Ted Cruz describe what's happening at the border as being conducted by heroes. The right. conservative freedom fighters. freedom fighters, the conservative media has been pumping this up to such an extent. And I think that's where some of the focus has to lie because that is truly what is ramping this up is there a danger there rick we saw what happened when you start pumping fists uh, around january 6th you know it's it, it it's a good show until something bad happens yeah that's right and i think it was right for josh to uh, issue some you know cautions that mm-hmm. um you know we hope this all uh, resolves itself peacefully uh, certainly we would want it to to not be anything violent here in the united states but i i, I mean like you're you're, you're kind of being convinced that somehow Ted Cruz has pull, and I'm, I'm just not sure who he's talking to other than himself <laughs> these days. Understand? Uh, is so, this more Occupy Wall Street than it is some anti-vax, uh, you know, COVID-related 
sort of protest. Your point earlier, Rick, when you try to identify what's really going on here. Yeah, I think this is anti-establishment, as Jeannie said. It doesn't really have anything to do with vaccines. 90% of the truckers are vaccinated. It's not going to affect their bottom line. Uh, But uh, look, people are finding reasons to get angry these days. And uh, uh, just watch the Olympics and settle down. Root for USA. (laughs) Shut shut up. (laughs) Are you hearing about this uh, uh, at school, Jeannie? Are students, you know, worked up about this? Or or is this actually, you know, a creation I think, as Josh suggested, of of conservative media, Fox News and so on. You know, they have talked about it. I think, you know, for these young people, I think it's they are so amazed by what is going on every day as they look around. I have to say that this was just another one where they sort of dropped their jaw and said, how could so few people stop? You know, what was the number we heard from mayor? Four hundred million dollars a day crosses back and forth at that border. Mm -hmm. That is being stopped by a very small number. To Rick's point, 90 percent of these truckers are vaccinated, not even involved in this. And you've got a few people people choking this off it is it's utterly incredible when you think about it and yet that's the times we're living in and i would just go back to the conservative aspect of this because yes senator cruz may not be talking to the vast majority of americans but you only have to talk to a few people on social media to cause this kind of issue and look let's look at the money they've raised huge millions of dollars that we saw had to be shut off by GoFundMe and has now moved to this conservative, (laughs) you know, uh, this conservative Christian crowdfunding platform, um, which I won't name, but, you know, they've raised a lot of money on these platforms. I said it earlier this hour, we live in interesting times. As we head for the weekend, uh, would love to hear from Rick and Jeannie on what to look out for the next couple of days. I suspect the administration is going to have people fanned out Sunday morning on this Russia-Ukraine matter. When you hear, though, Rick, that that Joe Biden's at Camp David uh, with Donilon and the other close advisors, that he's going to be talking with Vladimir Putin tomorrow. I guess he'll be doing that from the Situation Room at Camp David. Uh, how important is is this weekend when everybody goes away and is not looking their their party in with the Super Bowl? This is going to be going on in the background. How concerned are you about the next two days? Yeah, I think part of what the administration is trying to do is keep it in the foreground. Uh, it, it is a lot of competition. You got the Super Bowl and the Olympics, and that's that's tough, right? Uh, but uh, but they want to keep the spotlight on Putin. They want to keep the heat on Putin. I think they feel like they might have some momentum to try and, you know, sort of pinch him in a little bit mm-hmm. with the uh, alliance of Western nations all coming together. Uh, so I think they're going to want to really portray this as uh, we're working hard to protect the people of the Ukraine and, and the free world. And, and I, I would see a big push uh, uh, after the Putin conversation on Saturday and throughout the Sunday shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, it gives you something to do while you're warming up for the Super Bowl. Well, Watch the Sunday shows. That's right. We're going to get the, the I'm sure there'll be an image of that meeting. Right, Jeannie? We're going to see Vladimir Putin up on the screens, a stern looking uh, Joe Biden at Camp David. Maybe he's got the he's got the fleece on or something. Uh, maybe the I, I don't know what exactly the setting will be. Maybe it's this national security team around him. But what what comes after that? We don't tend to see the president when he's at Camp David. Is it is it phone calls with allies through the weekend? Are they gaming out different scenarios this weekend? I think that's what they have to be doing. They have to be in constant communication with our allies. And they have to be looking at what are basically have come down to these three options for Russians if they decide, Russia, if they decide to go in. You know, they can go in the north, and that's where there's concern that Americans will be impacted if they go in via the Belarus border into Kiev. Yeah. That's where Americans living there would be impacted, less so if they go in the center by Donbass or the south by Crimea. But that is why I think we are hearing 
that Americans need to take seriously over there, that they need to get out. The United States troop won't be going in. That said, in the back of your mind, you've got to wonder if any American civilians are killed on the ground over there, if there is an invasion, what does the United States do then? That is a huge, huge question. I, I don't even want to think about it. To tell you the truth, I mean, in advance of that, though, Rick, how important is it for the government to provide support to Americans who are trying to get the hell out of there? I, I wouldn't want to be trying to find a flight out of Kiev right now. No, I mean, that's that's going to be tough. I'm sure that the airlines are all bulking up to ensure yeah. that those who want to get out, get out. Uh, and, and I think the administration is being very clear. Get out. All right. Yeah, There's no more pussyfooting around this one. Get out mm-hmm. now or you're stuck there because we're not coming for you. And I think that's a fair thing for them to put out there. Right. Is if you stay, it's at your own risk. We're not going to create a, a global tension that will already make things worse uh, just by trying to figure out how to rescue people. So um, now most people won't pay attention to that if they're already there and, you know, they're going to get themselves into trouble. But uh, look, I mean, we're we're not far from the lights going out in the Kremlin, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if this thing tips off this weekend. So it is worth staying on top of and watching. It affects the entire world. It affects people here. God, uh, if, if folks have relatives there, uh, now's the time to get them, you know, into safe and out of harm's way. It's all very true. The sense of urgency is real. And of course, you can count on uh, Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg TV and your terminal to have the latest information for you. If we do have a breaking news environment uh, over the weekend, we will absolutely be there for you right here. And I want to thank Rick and Jeannie for a great conversation today and a series of conversations this week. I love talking uh, all of this stuff out with Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, and you do too. That's why you're with us. February is Black History Month every day this month. We're celebrating significant moments in U.S. black history. I've really been enjoying this series. Let's get our installment uh, for today with Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in black history in 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from prison after 27 years behind bars. It was a key event in ending South Africa's brutal apartheid system of racial oppression. Tens of thousands of supporters cheered on Mandela as he walked out of the prison gates that day. After his release from prison, Mandela would be elected president of the African National Congress. He'd continue to lobby for the complete dissolution of apartheid. So later on in 1994, the anti-apartheid activist, lawyer and former political prisoner was elected president of South Africa, ruling until 1999. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. And I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for being with us again on the fastest hour in politics. It does cook by the Friday edition in the books. And I have a feeling we're going to have a lot to talk about on Monday. Stay with us on Bloomberg for the weekend and I'll see you back here. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.